I masked who I was entirely. And I pretended I was someone I wasn't. And I had this, I held, I hid this person who I am showing you today from the entire world, including the cl- people closest to me and my family. So my, my wish is that I can encourage others to do this way before I did. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. No matter what you do or where you are in your life right now, I'm pretty sure you've heard the word no more than once. And some of those no's might make you feel like you don't want to get out of bed. This podcast is here to tell you, you're not alone. If all these people can walk through the valley of no's to get to their yes, why can't you? Welcome back to those of you who've been with me for a while and come on in for those of you that are new to 10,000 No's. I've got what I think to be an incredibly inspiring, compelling, revealing episode today with one of my favorite new people, Melissa Bernstein, the co-founder along with her husband and CEO of the monstrously successful toy company, Melissa and Doug. Now, I think giving you the backstory of how Melissa and I were connected to each other can kick off the life lessons before we even get going. It's a lesson about faith, basically, about putting one step in front of the other without knowing the outcome ahead of time, in this case, building this podcast, and then just being continuously pleasantly surprised by the unexpected people and opportunities that seem to land in your lap. A few months ago, I met another amazing woman, Kathy Heller. Now, that meeting came about in a similar way to this one, but I'll save that story for when Kathy comes on the show. Anyway, Kathy has a very successful and excellent podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job, and she had me on to talk about my career, the ups and downs, and how it led me to create 10,000 No's. About a month after it aired, I get an email from a woman named Michelle Locke, who had apparently heard the interview, appreciated my honesty and vulnerability in talking about how dark it can get when you pursue an entrepreneurial career in the arts, and asked me to be a guest on her radio show to talk about faith. And I had mentioned something about how after you've been acting for a while, when you're in the horrific throes of unemployment and can't seem to get arrested, which is actually where I was when I spoke to Kathy, you develop a faith that you will eventually work again. Anyway, to convince me her show was legit, she mentioned some of her past guests, including Melissa Bernstein, and I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. Then a few days after that exchange, she emails me back and says, actually, I think you should consider having Melissa on your show. Her story is pretty amazing, and it's completely in line with your theme. So she sent some links, and quickly I realized I actually recognized Melissa, the the Melissa and Doug logo. So my mom has their toys. My sister has their toys. Uh, my my sister in law, some of my friends, even we, my home, had their signature wooden toys. So I said yes, and I prepared my questions, assuming we'd spend most of our time talking about her company and her collaboration with her husband, the Doug in Melissa and Doug. But what follows and what you're about to hear was far deeper than that, I think. Melissa just came out spewing honesty and raw exposure of some pretty dark truths for her. And it led to a nearly two-hour conversation, which I, for the first time in this show's history, decided to split into two parts for fear that people would be intimidated by the length and miss out on what I think to be groundbreaking thoughts on life and how to persevere, produce, and even thrive despite deep, inherent depression. 
Maybe I'll split more episodes in the future. I don't know. But for now, I give you the incredibly talented, successful, prolific Renaissance woman, Melissa Bernstein. So I think the most extraordinary thing of my life is I probably shouldn't even be here today because I have been so deeply in the depths of despair that for many, many years, I never thought I would find my way out. And it's only through a connecting of the dots in such an extraordinary way that I am talking to you today, truly, because, you know, I have lived in a lot of darkness and I never thought you could find a path out of that and find light. And here I am today, you know, co-founder of a toy company, creating toys, no less, something that is the very antithesis of darkness and so light and fun and playful and able to impact children who are full of hope and promise. So um, sometimes I rarely step back, but often I just sort of pinch myself and marvel that I have been able to do this for now 30 years. Are you speaking of darkness from your childhood or? You know, it's an internal, yeah, it's, I was born churning and I never really knew until literally in the last couple years why I felt the way I felt. But now I understand it to be I was born feeling what is called existential angst. And um, I always, from the time I can remember, ask the question, why am I here and what is the meaning of life? And everything felt really meaningless and futile to me. And I always looked around and couldn't understand how people could be so happy and mirthful and just engaging in like pure frivolity without a care in the world when everything seemed so heavy to me. It was like there was a fog that suffused my entire soul that never lifted. And that was who I was deep at my core. And yet I couldn't tell anyone. I couldn't uh, share it with anyone because I also knew that it made me a pariah and really weird and no one wanted to be near someone so dark. So here I was, this angsty, churning, deep, heavy person. And yet I was living in a world and a society that would have never accepted that. So I had to hide it and put on a facade and be someone I never really was. How old were you when you first became aware of this? Were you six years old? Were you 10? Were you? When did you realize that you maybe were, I don't know that you were different, but you thought you were different. Uh, When would you say that was? I would say two or three. I was talking about mortality and death and asking the question why I was here. And I also had this very weird complexity in that I um, had a ticker tape of words and notes running through my head that were very, very depressing and dark. And when I put them on paper, they were so despairing and, and 
dark and only talked about really depressing things. I mean, when I was maybe five or six, I literally wrote, and I don't even know who I was writing it to, but I wrote, I beg you, truly beg you, just give me one small sign that I'm on a course of promise by my action or design, for I need to know this instant if the joys will trump the pain and the battle that I'm waging will have not been led in vain. I am fearful, oh so fearful, if you do not show me light, that I'm bound to lose the will and choose to end this futile fight. You wrote that that at five years old? Yeah, I mean, I dated most of them, and this one says it was five, so... I just had these very despairing words and songs um, come out of my head, yet I knew they were so dark, and I never once, I mean, hundreds of them, every moment of every day uh, that I couldn't share with anyone. And I never, you know, I still to this day haven't taken them out of the dark. I mean, you know, these are the first, this is the first time anyone's heard that. Uh, So... You know, I ended up, again, channeling it into light through the toys, but even in a further act of faith, I am now realizing that even that has been somewhat of a facade, you know, although I've finally realized I did have the choice whether to create darkness out of darkness or light out of darkness. And for the last 30 years, I've created light out of darkness, which has been profoundly joyful and very uh, meaningful, which I've, I've needed. I now, you know, now that I'm entering my sixth decade, uh, I'm trying to evolve further and realize that both are really part of me, both the light and the dark. And if I can have the ability to have the world see both, that will be the most profound gift that I can be given. It's so ironic that you're talking about light and dark. My wife just sent me a podcast episode of Oprah speaking to a a woman who has studied divinity and uh, was a priest, and she it was. I love that podcast. It was literally I just listened about, to it. You did, yeah. It was literally yeah. about coming out of the dark into the light. I haven't mm-hmm. finished it. I start. I listened to a little over half of it yesterday, um, and it's it's just interesting. You're putting it in those terms. And did you did you grow up in Wilton? I didn't. I grew up in a number of different places in uh, Pennsylvania, in Boulder, Colorado. And then I unfortunately moved uh, in my junior year of high school to Connecticut, where I still am today. Well, the the reason I ask is because I, I grew up very close to where you are now. And I feel as though I had a contemplative childhood. And I sometimes attribute it to being around nature because there there mm. was you know you had property there you had you know greenery you couldn't see your neighbors in the spring and the summer there was a lot of quiet and now I thought I was contemplative until I just heard your poem that you wrote <laughs> when you were five and I'm like well maybe I wasn't quite as deep as that but thank goodness um, but uh so how did you uh how did your parents view or ingest those kinds of poems? Maybe they didn't know about them, but those kinds of thoughts or that, did they see 
a, a, a melancholy in you? And were they worried for you? Did you have siblings? Were people around you worried? Or was it something that everybody had faith that you would eventually kind of get through or learn to deal with? How was that? That is the best question because nobody ever knew. And I hid it all from the world. And the only few times it eked out, maybe three my entire life up until, you know, recently, I got such shock and um, a negative, I guess you'd say, reaction that I realized I had been very wrong to share it and that I needed to, to repress it deep, deep away where no one would ever see it. You know, it was always something that was wrong with me and I, they couldn't believe that it was the same person who showed this performance perfectionistic persona and happy-go-lucky and also that, wow, you must have been in a really bad place when you wrote that. Thank goodness you're out of it now. And this sense that, you know, I've always had this sense that when I've ever let on that, you know, I live with darkness and despair continually, just as I live with light and possibility people always say to me, uh, do you feel better? Or I hope you feel better. Or I hope you get better. And um, it was never a sense that, you know, it was okay being this way at all. Uh, So no one ever knew. And I think I felt that it flawed me and made me appear really weak and, uh, and, and, um, less than. So I, I truly like repressed it as deeply as anyone has ever repressed anything. It just came out in my, my music and my words, but those never connected with anyone either because I was too embarrassed to share it because it was so dark and depressing. So I wrote hundreds and hundreds of poems, many, many songs, and no one ever heard them or read them or connected to them. Do you have plans to share them now? Have you shared all of them, some of them, most of them? I haven't shared any of them, but I am in the process of writing a book uh, about this journey because it has been so profound. And, you know, in the biggest irony of my entire life, you know, I sort of always had this contention that I was alone and that no one could understand me or care about me as I truly was uh, because I was so quote-unquote different. But I realized that that is very much not the truth. And actually, and it was through doing a podcast actually that my eyes opened to the fact that I'm really not alone. And there are a lot of people who feel the exact same way I do. It's really much more that society frowns on, uh, I don't know what you call it, mental instability or darkness, you know, because I'm probably not any more unstable than anyone else if they allow themselves to go there. It's just we don't allow ourselves to go there. You know, we're so, so scared of despair and voicing despair and sharing despair that I think we all just mask who we truly are. So 
when I saw that and I saw that I have done something, you know, I never believed I could do anything of worth or value that would have meaning. But I think in, again, an incredibly amazing connecting of the dots, I see that the one thing I have successfully done is proven that you can take something that is just so utterly dark and turn it into something beautiful. And showing that I could do that has given hope to many other people that they can do that as well. And I do believe that my goal now is to help others in the throes of despair discover their light and not only discover it and embrace it, but determine how to bring it out of them so they can connect it to others. Oh, this is, first of all, I have so many things I want to say. One, thank you for your honesty and courage in talking about it. Two, I can't believe that you haven't shared all of that and you need to. Uh, Three, yes, absolutely. People are alone out there. I've seen it through the year of doing this podcast, the, the reactions that I get, and it's why I set out to do this. People are all whittling away on their own in despair and everybody's too afraid to show the other person. But as soon as you show your cards, you realize everybody's in this in some way, shape, or form. Obviously, you never took an acting class because <laughs> people, t- <laughs> nope. people tend to this share all am. kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff in there. But but I think, um, I mean, I vehemently urge you to get that poetry and those songs out. You can't, I mean, do whatever you want, but I imagine from the 19 minutes and 43 seconds that I've known you, that it, you have some pretty cool material in that pile. You have to. I mean, you, you've just been speaking to me for under 20 minutes and I'm, I'm blown away. And whatever you have on those pages, in those songs, that has to get out there. So I'm throwing down the gauntlet in public. Aww, and then, you. and I the book sounds that. great. And yeah, you... Uh, I, I'm so excited to hear this. You really are. This is exactly why I started 10,000 No's, to let other wow. people know. Because, you know, in preparing for this, I go to the website. I'm looking, you know, Melissa and Doug, it's a huge company. As I'm even researching you, because this interview came from somebody to me. So I'm going, oh, yeah, I know. I know that logo. I remember the Melissa and Doug. And as I'm researching you, I'm going, holy cow, we have, my mom has your stuff. We have your stuff. I didn't even realize it when the interview came in, but you know, your, your company is huge. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. So to, to get here and not even touch on the company in the first 20 minutes and to speak as honestly as you just did is incredible to me because I'd rather talk about this then the company, and we can get to the company, we can get no, to that, but, but this stuff but is way more interesting to that's, me. That's that's the point, is that, you know, everything I've done through the company has been incredible, but again, it's truly just been, in a sense, a cloaking of who I really am. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I didn't even realize that, but in creating 
an incredible product that I can hand to children um, and that I touch through that, I'm still not touching them with who I really am, or at least the the deepest essence of who I am. So I think it worked and it worked beautifully and it kept me alive and sane and finding meaning for three decades because this is our 30th year. But I wanted more. I was still had a big hole in my heart. And this is this last couple, you know, years, I've just had this epiphany that I was still missing something so very deeply. And what it really was, was connecting with others through who I truly was. Because in essence, the toys were also masking who I truly was. Yep. It was creation, no doubt. And and pure white space creation and every bit as intoxicating as anything I've ever created. But it was it was light creation. And the truth is that all my real creation, which is most organic to who I am, is very much out of darkness. So uh, it's great to channel darkness into light. And But part of me wanted to say to the world, I'm still really dark. Please accept me for who I am, even in that darkness. Yeah. I really relate to that because even with the podcast and with writing for me, people say, oh, well, you're, you're living your dream. You're an actor. That's what you do. You express yourself. And in the last couple of years, I've thought really very similar to what you just expressed. Yes, I am. So in the, in the broad scheme of things, yes, but I'm still barely scratching the surface mm-hmm. of what I want to express. And so now I'm trying to dig deeper with this, with writing, with, you know, things that are of my own creation. So I, I really relate to it. And it speaks to the fact that when you pursue something, it's not like you, uh, you, you exhaust it or you graduate, you actually just open up more cans of worms and and it goes deeper. I think that sounds like what you're talking about and and expressing that and getting it out. Uh, Thank goodness you're doing that. That's incredible. Like that just shows that you're a seeker too. And you're, you're pushing yourself to further discover every layer of yourself and sort of, you know, I, I, I talk about it in my writing, like, I feel like I was dressed for ski season my entire life in, you know, 20 different layers of clothing. And that was really masking my true soul from the world because all they touched was this very superficial exterior. And that one by one, I was like, okay, I need to find the courage to shed this layer and then shed another and shed another until I'm left with my nakedness, you know, literally saying, okay, here I am, take it or leave it. This is all I got. Yeah. You know, as you get older, I think that's what happens is you just care less what pe- the things that were the hangups when we were younger about what people will think about us, I think tend to go away as, as we kind of move on and we finally go, well, who cares? You know, at this point, like, who cares? Like, I'm going to get it out there and whatever. People are going to talk about it. They, they'll say good things. They'll say bad things. It'll affect some people in a positive way. Other people will be snarky behind my back. Who really cares? This is what right. I'm, this is what I'm all about. Here it is laying it on the table. So yeah, I feel in, in speaking to you, 
I feel like you have 10 more careers within you. You know, the, it sounds like the toy company has been extremely successful, but I mean, writing, speaking, uh, songs, poetry, it, you know, why, why limit yourself? You've kind of established yourself with the toy company. This is a great opportunity. I'm, I'm really inspired to hear the way you speak. I mean, this is uh, really, really fires me up. Thank you. Well, uh, if I can, you know, I really have understood that we all are desperately seeking and, and desperately feel alone. Almost all of us are very much afraid to show who we truly are to the world. And if I can make it through every eccentricity and fear that I have and exposing that help others to do the same, then again, you know, I've been searching for meaning my entire life and asking the question why. I think that if I can do that and help others to really embrace who they truly are, I believe I will find the greatest meaning. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're, just in hearing you speak, I, I'm I'm imagining anybody hearing your message. It's 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 powerful coming from someone who society deems successful. I put that in quotes because people go, "Oh, well, look look at her. She's she's done all this, and now they'll they'll listen to you." Um, I don't know if it's fair that, that, that it, why should we listen to you? Because, but that's what happens. So yep. it's, it's great that you kind of have this platform. I think people take you more seriously because they go, well, she's put this together. And now with that power, you're having the courage to go, okay. And, and here, if you're looking at me thinking I've got it made in the shade, you know, guess again. It's it's it was dark when I was a kid. It's still dark now. I've just managed it. Exactly. And that's what I've realized is just like anybody has, you know, a condition, whether it's a skin condition or diabetes, like I have a certain personality. And that's who I am. Uh, even though I tried to deny it my entire life. I realized that the personality I was born with has some good things about it. It gives me the ability to create from complete white space very easily, but it also comes with severe angst and depression. Uh, and it's like, the again, the white and the black, the dark and the light. I couldn't have one without the other. So I better embrace both sides of it and learn how to deal with it because if I don't, if I pretend it doesn't exist or I deny it, I can fall really quickly into despair and a loss of meaning and hope. So I have to constantly work to keep myself uh, up and in a place where I am churning that angst continually into uh, something of meaning. Okay, so and let's talk. Say, oh, sorry, I used go to on. say something of light. So I, I've changed literally just in the last few months. I used to say I have to, my, my mantra, I created a mantra that I said to myself every moment when I started to fall in despair. And it was step on out of the brain and move into the heart, free to channel the pain into jubilant art. 
because I lived in my head, which was incredibly despairing. And I knew I needed to live completely in my heart, which was free to create and had no limits and no, uh, you know, no bars. My, my, my body and my head were, were imprisoned, imprisoning me throughout my life. They were like caging me and so rigid and demanding and perfectionistic, but my heart was free. So I had to step out of that head, move into my heart, free to channel the pain into jubilant art. So that was always what I was intending to do. You know, take the darkness, turn it into light. But today, yeah, sorry. No, 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 go on, go on, go on. No, keep, you you ask. No, no, I'll come back to it. I was just going to say, but today I realize I can find meaning in both darkness and in light. And I'm hoping, I've, I've always believed that others would never find meaning in my darkness, that it would just make them feel dark as well uh, so that I couldn't share it because I didn't want to make people feel as terrible as I felt. But I'm now believing that since we all have that darkness within us, that maybe it could just resonate with them and help make sense of their fears and in that way connect better with me or just as easily as they can connect with the toys and the light part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my question was was going to be so that the listeners have something they can physically do. Someone's listening right now and they're going, okay, yes, I identify. I have darkness. She turned it into light. That sounds great. Sounds like a bumper sticker. How did you do it? What, like, what actual process when you are in the throes of despair and feeling blue and feeling like you don't want to get out of bed what do you do is it a choice you say you acknowledge it you don't deny it but then what do you do how do you go from dark to light how do you do that that's an awesome question and that's what happens every single morning so i will tell you how my day goes. <laughs> uh, you know, my my resting place is very low. So some people, and and I used to envy this so much, and I guess I'd say I still do. Some people's resting place is in the middle or high, right? They get up each day and they're like, "Whoa, another day! Let's go, baby! You know, let's let's conquer the day. Let's do this thing." And they jump out of bed and they just do what they need. They race out of the house and they're singing in the car, and it's like a beautiful day. And that's their frequency, and that's incredible. And they are so so fortunate. Pete, those folks don't even know how fortunate they are. You know, I, <laughs> and they're living. To be honest, they're living in their hearts and they're not heady types. They're not the churning people who ruminate and, and think about everything. And, and by the way, when you, you know, I'm sure you, you I've, I've heard you talk about this, you know, when you're in your head, it's never good. Your head is either in the past lamenting what could have been and rethinking and analyzing about everything, or it's in the future where it's worrying about what's going to be and, and how you're going to get there. It's never about experiencing and just enjoying and just being and accepting what is right now. So 
I have learned that when I am in my head, it's full of dread. <laughs> and when I'm in my heart, it's full of art. So <laughs> I think, you know, everything's a rhyme to me, but um, my head is not a good place. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm immediately like in my head and it's like, oh gosh, what's going to happen today? It's like Eeyore, you know, <laughs> and that is who I am. I'm a very down cap, cup half empty person. Now, nobody who hears this, who actually knows me would ever think that they would say, Melissa, she's the most positive, upbeat. She's optimistic. She's always trying to get me to be my best. Like I, I, have to work with every ounce of my being to get myself there. And um, it is brutal. And certain days are harder than others. I, you know, I've written very extensively about despair and depression and, you know, the idea of being in quicksand and mud and someone pushing your head underwater and drowning and not being able to get out and you're suffocating. I mean, that is what depression is. It's a, a dark cloak you wear that submerges you deeper and deeper into the earth. It's a horrible feeling. And I'm fighting and clawing and groping and doing whatever I can to stay above the, the water. Um, and that's what I have to do. So the, the best thing someone can do, I mean, and it's so much easier said than done, is to stop thinking and just say, okay, you know what? Stop at thoughts because most of what you think and believe never happens or never comes true or is wrong. And I've learned that so many times. Whatever I envision is always the worst and it nearly never occurs as I envisioned because I'm always envisioning the worst. So if I... I don't have to envision the best. I don't have to go to the other extreme because I couldn't do that. I'm way too negative. But I can think nothing. I can just say... Let's just go through the day and see what happens. And that's what I physically have to do. I have to say, stop thinking. Let's just start the day. And I have to get out of bed, not thinking. And I have to say, okay, actually, nothing's wrong right now. I'm walking. I'm out of bed. Okay, let's, you know, start the day. And as the day goes on and, you know, and things start to happen, I realize that this is a pretty good day. Like nothing terrible has happened. And actually some, some really, you know, good things are, are happening. So I have to choose and I have to take any time I feel that, you know, existential angst, which I am plagued with, is a feeling that you don't feel anything is ever right. It's like you feel, it's that sense that something is really wrong, but you don't know what it is. It's just a continual feeling of unease. And it's that, and again, it's really the tick of my own mortality. It's like a very deep thing. But if I allow that to become the, the, that, that sense of, um, the ticking of my own internal clock of my life. If it gets too loud, I'm gone. I'm a goner. So anytime I feel that, which again is continual, I have to turn it into something. I have to either create something or talk with someone, meaning and help them with something they're going through. I have to turn it into positive action. Um, I can't just uh, sink into it or let it, you know, overcome me. But as the so so what i ended up doing to the negative because i was so 
angsty and churning. Throughout my life, I turned it into this crazy, rabid obsession with doing anything and everything to quell that sense of panic. So I was like a crazy, rabid, whatever it was. I had to be running as fast as I could run in every direction, you know, absorbing as much content as I could absorb, creating as much as I could create, uh, touching as many people as I could touch because I was trying to drown out the noise of my own internal drumbeat. But ultimately, that became too exhausting and very self-damaging uh, because I was running from myself. And in the end, you, you can't run from yourself. And even the creative output, which was crazy. I mean, I've created 10,000 toys and I've created thousands of poems and I, I can't, you know, I, I, I craft and I paint and I, it just wasn't enough to, I still had this gaping hole deep within me it, that, not, that that couldn't fill because that hole was, I needed to look inside and I needed to uh, accept and, and sit with the despair instead of running from it. So this last year has been probably the most uh, challenging of my entire life in having for the first time to instead of looking outside at everything I did to, to mask that internal angst to actually for the first time sit with it as it is. And do you feel that it is helping? Do you feel more at peace? Or do you think you are just destined to always live with this, as you call it, churning or unsettled feeling? Um, do you know, do, how has it been? How has it been the last year? You know, it's been good, actually, I have to say. Um, I mean, this is who I am and I will always be this way, but I think the more I've stopped running and just taken, it's literally, you know, it's so simple, but just taking breaths and said, I'm going to go into the despair and really sit with it and not run from it. It wasn't as bad as I had always believed. I mean, I was so scared of it. You know, I was terrified. I mean, it, it represented everything I, I most feared. Um, and it wasn't good. It didn't, it didn't feel um, comfortable, but I did it. And uh, I sort of stared, you know, despair kind of right in the eye. And, uh, and I was still living. You know, it, it broke me. I was like completely, it was like one of those things you read about. It, it broke me completely open uh, because I had to come to terms with every, with what I feared most, which is that I will be gone at some point, you know, with maybe nothing much of value to show for it. But once I realized, okay, that's what you're dealing with. That's the worst, but you're still here. So you got to you know, you got to make the most of it while you're still here. And I think I realized to make the, the really long story short is we have a choice each day. You know, no one is ever going to give me the answer I want, which is what is the meaning of life and why am I here and what is the point of it all? 
And no one can truly ever give me that answer. So I have a choice while I'm here. I can either wallow in despair and, you know, complain and be bitter and pass away the time just sulking that it isn't more joyful or I can forge joy from every moment as best I can. Whether even at times I say, oh, is this really what it's all about? I can still find so much joy. And that's the thing that's so interesting about me is as despairing as I am and how I can get so low, I can find so much joy in the ordinary. Like I am all about finding such extraordinary beauty in the simplest things and the in nature. And I, I find such wonder in the world as it exists, you know, just right outside my window. So I am able to find that, that joy. And I think I just have to allow myself to find it. You really are an artist. It's an, it's it, when you were pitched to me, it was Melissa Bernstein, founder, CEO of Melissa and Doug. And that conjures up a certain um, image in my head. But speaking to you, you're absolutely an artist Aww. who happens to be in business. Um, you're, and it's, and it's a, I've I've heard this before. I feel like I relate to it, though I don't think that I'm. I think you're more prolific than I am, certainly, and then probably than most people. But it's that thing that haunts you is what creates your art because it's it's this like um, undying thirst to kind of save yourself in a way is what's creating your art. Your art is your therapy. And so. Exactly. Um, yes. Yeah. That, that's what, you know, I, I, I say the very thing that tries to destroy me is also the thing that is saving me. Totally. You I know, always, I always say that our greatest liabilities are our greatest assets. You know, it's the same, same thought. Exactly. So I think, you know, that's, hey, I, you know, some days I think, um, you know, I, I wrote a poem. I, I, I think, let me, let me think what it, uh, it was like, you know, every day is a different day. And I think, you know, I wrote a simple poem when I was little. It was like, some days I feel so very big and others very small, either shouting from the rooftops or afraid to speak at all. You know, it's, and I still have that. You know, there are days I wake up and I think, Melissa, you can conquer this world, girl. You have got it going on. And other days I can barely get out of bed. And I think that's the duplicity of all of us. And I am no longer afraid to say that, I will say. Yeah, I, you should, <laughs> I keep saying it, but you you really need to publish these poems. I mean, that's that should be in a children's book. Like I want my kids hearing what you just said. I mean, that it, it's, I'll write the foreword if it gives you motivation. <laughs> I mean, really it's, yeah. it's so, uh, useful and so honest. And it just, I think it is encouraging and inspiring to people to hear someone like yourself saying all this. It's, 
it, it's it gives the rest of us an opportunity to look at our own situation and say, oh, okay. Well, Melissa is dealing with this maybe more intensely than I'm even dealing with it. Um, and she has somehow managed to put it together and make it work for her. But here's the reason I'm talking to you today, because I didn't do this until I was 50 years old. I masked who I was entirely. And I pretended I was someone I wasn't. And I had this, I held, I hid this person who I am showing you today from the entire world, including the cl- people closest to me and my family. So my, my wish is that I can encourage others to do this way before I did. Uh, because, you know, that I think was more punishing than the despair ever was. The shame and embarrassment that I felt for having these feelings and that no one would ever accept or understand me in that dark, dark place. Yeah. It's so important. It's 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 a reminder to me, certainly, and I'm guessing to people that are listening right now, um, that we need to expose all of these these things and share all these things, if not with the world, at least with the people that we know. And it's probably tougher with the people that are close to us than it is with the world at large. You I know? think it is. I, you know, even with those closest to us, it's most... The the truth is that most people can't handle the weight of that. And it isn't just, you know, it isn't just that I worried about what people would think. It was that the few times I did expose it, people didn't want to go there. And that was probably the most disappointing, you know, to me, because what ended up developing in me was this horrible sense of mistrust and that I couldn't trust anyone because they all wanted me to be someone that I wasn't. And if I showed them who I really was, they wouldn't want to deal with that because most people want to hide from that. You know, they, they, are like, I'd rather not deal with it. And I get it. Who, who wants to be talking about your mortality? You know, um, I, I don't either, but yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the problem is then what you're left with when you're a person like I am is just this sense that nobody can meet you on your level or care about you or ever really connect with you in a way that matters. And that's why, you know, pretty much every relationship in my life was superficial because it was all based on just a facade. Yeah. Facade. It was just this phony person who really was acting in a way. I mean, I was a persona for my entire life and a persona that when I, you know, if I could see a, a a movie of myself in college or I, I would, I would say that is 
so far from who you really are. It's a, it's a completely different person. Well, that's what I, you know, recently I've done interviews where I've been on the other side of the mic uh, for other people's podcasts and spoken about the, the turn for me from playing lacrosse in college to becoming an actor. And that's what happened to me. I was taken out of my element. I was in Europe and I started to look, you know, when you're out of your routine, you look back at your life and I started to examine what I was doing. And that's what I felt like. It was between sophomore and junior year of college. I felt like I had created a persona and Mm -hmm. it would even, there was a nickname. There was like, it was like this whole thing and it represented part of me, but I, I literally could not avoid the voice within me that rose up and, and like grabbed me by the shirt and was like, you need to, you know, that's not who you are. You, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not fully who you are. And, and I veered my, you know, it took a while, even after having that moment, it took a, uh, I went, I still went back to the routine and it took me a while, but then I pretty quickly turned and and went out and did a play and was immediately mm. said, I'm going to be an actor. And it, and it wasn't, people say, oh, that's so brave. And I say, it wasn't brave. It was literally like breathing the air. Yes. I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I felt like I was, the persona that I created was, was strangling me, you yes. know? And um, so I, I, I can relate to it. It's interesting that it happened to you so much later in life for you. And, and I'm wondering, could you go into, if, if you're okay with it, could you go into specifics without naming names, but when you said you kind of decided to lay your cards on the table and instead of being encouraged and, and opened up and, and finding trust, you found that people, uh, it was the opposite. What, what, kind of how did that come about and what happened and how did you kind of make your way through that period? Sure. So I listened to a bunch of podcasts and it was actually a podcast that when I was about 48, I listened to and the uh, host of the podcast used to talk about some of his favorite books. And he mentioned a book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. Oh my God, this is weird. I literally just typed that into my notes this morning before <laughs> calling you. I literally have a suggested books because I was reading through notes, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. So that's, that's so bizarre. funny. <laughs> that's so, bizarre. Just by coincidence, because uh, I decided he had mentioned it so many times that I would read this book. So it, it wasn't so much the book itself that sort of started this uh, ball rolling, but it was something he mentioned in at the end of the book. He, he talked about how at, at the end of his, uh, his, his whole experience, he started to research more of this, I think it's called logotherapy, which studied existentialism. And in, again, I've been a writer my whole life. I never once heard the word existentialism. So I was curious and I decided to look it up. And when I looked it up, I literally felt my heart stop beating 
because what it talked about was basically what I had experienced my entire life. And suddenly I realized, oh my gosh, I suffer from this existential angst, this and existential depression. Anyway, I suddenly had this epiphany that, oh my gosh, I am not actually the only person who feels this way, but there are others who feel this way. There's actually a word you know, for it. And then that set me on this path of looking at people who suffered from existential angst, which by the way, were some of the world's most prolific creators, who many of whom killed themselves, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, at very young ages, but that also people who suffered with existential angst also had some other uh, highly sensitive traits to their personality that made them much more excitable and sensitive to the world than others. And of course, I saw, gee, not surprisingly, I also had all these other uh, excitabilities in my personality, which made the way I experienced the world and people and thought about things very different than most, you know, still the same as many, but, but different than most. So I suddenly thought, oh my gosh, I need to be on this podcast Guys, I hate to yank you from the conversation mid-story, but I hope you'll understand why I did it. This is like my version of the network cliffhanger. And I hope you'll come back next Friday to hear how Melissa's decision to open up on a podcast was a total game changer. Okay, I like to give you my top takeaways, so I'll give you what I thought to be the top ones from this first section. There were so many, but I'm going to limit myself to the top three. One... Just because you might be predisposed to darkness and depression doesn't mean you can't choose to combat it. Two, massive action and accomplishment. While it can't rid you of depression, it can serve as therapy for your depression. And three, sadness, hopelessness, darkness exist in many more people than you realize. Some people are just better at masking it than others, literally to the point where even their family members, colleagues, close friends aren't even aware how much their loved one might be suffering in silence. Okay, that's it for part one. I hope you tune in for part two next week. It's equally compelling. Have a great day, weekend, week, and we'll see you next Friday. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening to 10,000 Knows. We realize there are tons of great podcasts out there, and we truly appreciate you sitting down with us. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so on the Apple Podcasts app for iTunes or on Spotify. If you like what you heard today, we'd love it if you took a minute to give us a five-star rating and a short review, as well as just telling your friends and family about us. We aim to give you the best free content possible, so if you have suggestions, requests, comments, anything please email us at info at 10,000nos.com. That's info at 10000nos.com to let us know what would make your listening experience better. See you next week.